Well, hello and welcome. It is time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, a little bit on the topic today, as I was thinking recently, this is what came to mind. I remember, if you remember physically going to conferences, a couple of conferences on my calendar, but they're still, they're still virtual. But one of the things I liked about physical conferences is I learned early on that when you wanted to really find out where the innovation is, you want to find out what's new and what's really coming next, Sometimes your best bet is to actually go to the edge of the conference. You know, the, the big vendors and the huge booths and everything are, are very much drawing you into the center, but it's at the edges where the innovation is. And I think that's a relatively good metaphor for what we're going to do today, because we've got some experts, of course. We've got some incredible information to take a look at what you need to be prepared for next in terms of a number of different technologies that are all converging so that we're doing things differently than we used to do. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. I know I've enjoyed it already, and this is the pinnacle. It's so much fun. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. Let's meet the experts. Well, hello, and these are the experts. Gentlemen, so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, let's do some introductions here. I'm going to start at the top as I usually do. Let's go around. And I just want to say, because I'm going to call this out, but uh, some titles, which I didn't put on the screen. Dan Graham is Global Product Leader, Mobile Edge Computing. Uh, but there seems like there's so much more in your background as well as your knowledge and, and stuff you have to share. That's going to be cool. And then Don Rogers uh, specializes in manufacturing distribution. You're an industry practice manager for world. All everyone's here with worldwide technology, and then Jason Craig, who's chief technology advisor with the public sector. Now I know I didn't tell you I was going to actually tell your titles, but I just wanted to draw them together really tightly while everybody was there. Uh, but I still want you to talk about what you do in your own way. Uh, Dan, let's just get and start with you. What um, what are you responsible for in your role there at Worldwide Technology? Yeah, 5G and mobility here is really servicing the service provider groups and MSOs around, um, you know, building out new services, new products, and, and taking those to market. Uh, at the end of the day, it's really about solving their business problems or their consumer problems. And once we have a good eye on that, putting the right products and services at play that we have here at WWT to uh, address or um, further those needs. So. Okay, interesting. I can see exactly why you're here. And uh, so let's add to that. Don, I mentioned you were on the manufacturing side, but you're a, uh, you're a uh, let's say, practice manager. Any chance you're going to go pro or are you going to stay uh, just practicing? <laughs> uh, well, I guess to be determined on that. So uh, thanks, Rob. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Don Rogers, uh, as Rob introduced. Uh, I lead our manufacturing and distribution vertical uh, within worldwide technology. We work with customers uh, to develop, uh, shape, uh, and execute on their digital transformation strategies. And with our manufacturing and distribution customers, that's a lot of time spent with those lines of business. So we work really closely with, with those stakeholders to identify the challenges that they're dealing with in those operations. And then we work with experts like Dan and Jason here with us uh, today as well, and others to bring technology solutions uh, to bear to address those business challenges that we see in those industrial environments. And I'm fascinated by what's going on in these uh, these verticals, as we sometimes say it internally, uh, because you guys 
it's always a surprise to me how th there was something, you know, of course, we'd hold up as the Industrial Revolution, and then you go, well, wait, this is this, uh, uh, there's a lot more of that going on, and a lot of these businesses are really making a difference with how they're applying technology to uh, both solve challenges as well as kind of catapult themselves forward. So I'm looking forward to that input. Well, Jason, I don't want to leave you out here at all. Thank you so much for joining us as well. How do you describe what you do? And feel free, by the way, to include the government stuff that we're not going to have time to get into just in terms of recognizing how much you get involved with. Oh, no, we're not hearing your audio, by the way, Jason. I think that's not just me, but check your audio there. Are you back up? That's because I'm on mute. I still ah. can't figure that out. You'd think I'd know that by now. No, <laughs> it, right. it's a pleasure being here with Dan and Don. I, I enjoy working with them. My focus, uh, like them, is 5G, but also AI, ML, Edge. But it's really um, helping the public sector, so state, local, and education, so K-12, higher ed but also helping the DOD deploy tactical 5G edge uh, compute um, on different challenges they have, different mission sets they need. And as, as you'll hear through this call, our, our focus is outcomes. And so my outcomes is getting rid of the digital divide um, that, that came about because of the COVID, um, helping us deploy tactical 5G um, downrange. So it, it's exciting to be here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, as I've gotten to know each of you a little bit better as we were preparing for this, and, and once again, of course, I'm learning from you, the way that I thought maybe we set this up, and, and uh, Dan, I'm going to come back to you to kind of kick this off, but the, one of the things that we brought up was John Deere, and it was a saying we saw in the news. It's not uh, a custom, I'm sure there are customers in some fashion, but it's not why we're talking about them, but it was a fact that they were in the news um, as one of the more interesting purchasers of uh, available spectrum in an auction that happened over the summer. Um, and when I see someone who's not a carrier or maybe a government entity or, or just something else where I guess the government doesn't have to ask for their spectrum, I guess they've already, it's what they're carving off, allowing us to use, I guess is really how it works. But um, the fact that someone like John Deere would be looking to purchase spectrum and I don't not know exactly what they're doing with it from what I can tell. I mean, there's some things about just being able to control their future and that felt like the right way to kind of characterize what it felt like I'm hearing from all of you guys in terms of there's a number of new technologies that are starting to mature at the same time uh, that present new opportunities. And these opportunities may not be found in that um, that space where historically I think we've had a lot of things where you go, you got a security issue, you can go buy a firewall from X vendor. You know, you can go buy an SD-WAN solution from someone else. This feels bigger and different, and it feels like customer. What you guys are telling me, it feels like customers are more in the driver's seat. And so, um, I'm curious what you think about that, Dan. And I wonder if you could kick us off and let's just talk a little first about let's set up the environment from y'all's y'all's Texas y'all's perspective, um, Dan. How, how would you begin to characterize the environment and, and whether that's something everyone should be latching onto? Yeah, I, I, thanks, Rob. If, if you take a step back from any of these point solutions or particular technologies, I think what we're seeing and uh, is the you know first couple of steps in climbing that uh, fourth industrial revolution mountain that's ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And um, what we're seeing from our customers is uh, this need to not just bring you know d discrete use cases to market, whether that's for their internal uh, employees or, 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 or devices um, or their customers externally, 
what they're looking for is a blend of uh, a number of or a basket of use cases that they can bring to market. And every use case today is, you know, could be powered all the way back to a, a, a hosted environment or a cloud environment and extend through um, wired connectivity to a facility. And then in that facility, it could be extended over uh, an area that I'm focusing on right now is uh, private cellular networking, which uh, allows that connectivity and those back-end services to be extended within, uh, let's say, an enterprise facility and or, um, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, Jason can talk a little bit about what they do in the government space. I try to close my ears every time he describes what they're trying to do. But the, the reality is, is, uh, you know, they're looking for a blend of uh, different use cases to be orchestrated together with the security and the ability to scale this up. And private LTE, uh, eventually private 5G, as that's coming online now, is one of those technologies that's coming to its maturity. And really industry 4.0 is about the top 10, 20, I'd say 25 different technologies all um, coming to their own maturity right now. And so what consumers or enterprises or public sectors looking for is an integration of the best of breed of all of those various technologies to drive their business, satisfy their consumers, or uh, in some cases, save money or, or innovate. So I think yeah. that's the, the overall context that uh, leads us to believe private connectivity is, uh, it, it's an interesting area for us to focus in on and we're starting to see a lot of demand in the marketplace for it. And that's one I wanna come back to actually, because. It, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. The notion of private cellular, as I think you mentioned it uh, earlier, that uh, I mean, that would normally be considered an oxymoronic statement. Um, those are not two things that would go together, right? You get your cellular and you leverage the service and pay whatever bills you get charged and that type of thing. And so I think that's one of the huge signals. Um, we'll come back to, to kind of some things that John Deere is doing. But Don, I want to talk about the... Um, uh, you know, what's happening in manufacturing and how much of what, what Dan is saying there um, resonates with you in terms of what you're seeing with, uh, with your customer base? Uh, yeah, it, it resonates pretty loudly, actually. I mean, when we're working with manufacturing customers, particularly in those industrial environments, uh, they're really focused on a few key things, right? At the, at the macro level, it's, I mean, how do we, how do we improve our production yield our quality, how do we shorten our time to market, um, all of the things that a manufacturer should care about. Um, and then as they are thinking about Industry 4.0 and digital transformation and, and advancing those manufacturing operations forward in a digital way, it gets to be a bit overwhelming. Um, when, when we look work with customers uh, in a typical digital transformation strategy type of engagement, the use cases are dozens. Right. And a lot of those use cases uh, can be enabled uh, with wireless connectivity, but traditional wireless as we've that's been available to these customers uh, historically uh, really doesn't provide, at least by itself, the best platform to enable all of those use cases, particularly when you start enabling multiples of those at the same time. So th these plants are large. They're yeah. uh, noisy with, in terms of, of, of interference and communication. Yeah, the RF, and there's yeah. lots of. Yeah, lots of things to be able to uh, overcome in those environments. And Spectrum uh, is is a big 
limiting factor has been historically in, in the wireless arena. Well, and, and Jason, one thing just to, to mention as I ask you for your opinion on the uh, on kind of the situation as you see it, but you'd mentioned you talked in, in your intro on digital divide, and that's such a huge issue when we all go into lockdown, of course, and then we're just assuming, and so many people speak as if everyone's got equal access to the same tools, uh, and unfortunately that's not the case. And one of the classic areas where we don't see great internet connectivity in a real simple way is rural areas, and that's one of the things I saw mentioned uh, as a uh, hypothetical. I do not know if this is the case, but we think about John Deere purchasing um, Spectrum in this auction, and I wonder, this is just purely my wondering, if they're making a statement saying, we're going to need more connectivity in the places where we're doing our manufacturing and where we're doing things that we can depend on, where we have control over our destiny in that space and not be waiting for what is usually rural being one of the last parts that carriers are going to start rolling out to. And you wonder, okay, are they starting to take some of their own destiny in their hands? Again, I don't know. and I shouldn't probably project that, but I bring it up as a point of conversation. What do you think, Jason? No, it gives me, it's interesting because um, there's two parts to it. as the start back with Dawn, um, when we talk about smart manufacturing um, and industry 4.0, it's a little different in, in the public sector, but it's the same thing in reality. We give it different names, smart facility. It's all the same thing. If I put a bunch of tanks in a giant uh, facility, I still have the same problem. Everything's very noisy. I've got a lot of RF going off and um, I need to be able to communicate across a 2 million square foot facility um, and I need to make it accurate. In regards to SLED and the digital divide, one of the things we're trying to do is, is lessen that gap. I think it's about 18 million people still don't have access to broadband. Um, and that's a challenge because yeah. you, you want everyone equal in regards to being able to learn. We, as a government, we provide public learning and we should be able to make sure when stuff like this happens. And some of the, some of the schools are talking about not going back till next year or allowing students to be in a hybrid situation forever but we have to make sure they have the ability to, to learn and the ability to, to download that content and with cbrs uh, the citizen broadband radio service that was just released by the navy this gives us the opportunity so now school districts can now develop their own private solutions and what we call network slicing allow them so john deere could have multiple networks licenses and and sell one to a school district that's out in the uh, rural Illinois um, and then get that get that paid for and that's not riding on their network um, and so what it allows us to start doing is really m m melding the concept of public sector and commercial together which I think for this evolution and revolution that we're seeing with 5g that's really where we can start seeing that private public partnership that that is really exciting for my world that I can work with Don and Dan and say, hey, let's go talk to John Deere or Exxon Mobil and say, you've got extra extra um, band. Mm -hmm. Let's work with the students and let's let's market the heck out of that. Yeah, and that th I think that's part of the, the fascination I have. So, and I'm glad you brought this up. So CBRS specifically, and you guys correct me, but it's 3.5 gigahertz, um, so to speak. Yes. And, and, and the way the licensing is being handled in that is really what's opened up the opportunity here. Um, and Dan, I don't know, can you, uh, you're nodding your head, so I immediately went to you, um, because I'm trying to avoid, I'll end up talking too much as I stumble through how I think it works. But essentially what was fascinating to me about CBRS is because it's felt like this this ability to do private networking uh, at a quality and a um, at a reliability level. 
that a lot of customers who've been frustrated with either Wi-Fi not quite meeting their needs, and of course it continues to get better, but it's still Wi-Fi, versus the carrier technologies, when you talk about even uh, private LTE or just LTE, so much more mature. These guys, the carriers have already kind of honed these technologies to deal with the uh, density requirements uh, and some of the latency issues that are normally still found in Wi-Fi. But are you seeing, is CBRS where you see a lot of the private networking start to uh, make make uh, inroads into a new innovation? I think it's a couple of things, actually. I mean, access to spectrum, whether directly purchased or shared or leased, it certainly opens up a whole new world. But the other thing that's going on uh, in the service provider space around 5G and the standards there is this um, disaggregation from the infrastructure to the software that runs these services. So um, what does that do? It, it One, it creates some price pressures. Uh, two, it, it allows some um, upstarts to come in and create software packages that um, you know either meet or exceed some of the capabilities and reliability that you see with some of the big monolithic systems uh, uh, you know in in years past that the carriers would purchase and deploy um, and so it's the this kind of competition around that software bringing in new innovation uh, combined with that spectrum, um, all on top of some pretty aggressive standards that have been put in place, especially around 5G, that uh, enable this kind of uh, blend of net new that uh, is really opening up uh, and solving some problems that we've seen for a while within various verticals. Um, you know, as an example, we're working with one of the top uh, digital therapeutics company to be able to blend uh, data, uh, patient data with behavior. And um, we couldn't do that over some open networks. We, we have to do that over private networks or secure networks. Um, some companies need, you know, three, four nines of reliability, which you can get out of this standard that's been set with 5G. So really it's, it's coming anew, but it's coming anew with a bunch of other technologies that are, are coming to maturity at the same time. Um, this just seems to be the lightning rod at the moment that can bring all of these things together. IoT strategy with an edge strategy with a cloud strategy, really to solve business problems and, and provide net new value for consumers. Yeah, I wanna come back to that edge conversation because I know you've got a background um, in working with that quite a bit in terms of how that's changing uh, because we kind of see it felt like everything, uh, you know, previous to now, when we were still in the hype cycle, was all about moving everything to cloud. And then now we're seeing a healthy balance as people are picking, you know, where to put your workloads. And the edge starts to bring that in because actually the edges, and I think someone mentioned, uh, maybe it was Don, had talked about slicing. Um, or maybe it was Jason. But anyway, sli network slicing, which of course is a key feature around 5G, but it's also, um, you know, that capability to subdivide some of that uh, available bandwidth and, and connectivity opens up new opportunities and new partnerships potentially. I, I wanna make sure I understand what you mean by disaggregation. Is it possible to um, give me a, like an enterprise specific, not specific, but just a generalized example, but what does it look like monolithic versus disaggregation? What components are you saying that are kind of yeah. starting to come apart and, and leverage that? To be more specific, it's, it's a separation of the hardware uh, storage and and uh, networking from the applications that run on top of it. So 
similar to the cloud providers many, many years ago that have figured out how to run software workloads on generic hardware. Um, you know, the, the, the 5G standard uh, follows suit to try to separate out that infrastructure, which means you can use um, common compute, uh, common storage, it doesn't have to be specialized. Uh, and then you can scale up those workloads similar to how you would scale up workloads at uh, one of the hyperscalers, uh, create redundancy, create resiliency, um, allow for auto scaling of some of these functions. And so that disaggregation uh, or separation, virtualization, let's say, is what's um, allowing for different components in that, so, you know, that stack of technology to be able to sprint ahead and certain upstarts to take a certain, you know, aspect of a full stack solution and really innovate around how they could provide net new value. And so that's opening up a whole new world in my yeah, that's opinion. That's healthy. I like that. Yeah, because we, it's that kind of, even if it's competition, it's always, that's exactly what drives innovation, I feel like, is when someone comes along and proves that there's a better way to do something or, or is thinking of it differently. Um, but Don, I, I make the mistake of always thinking, when I think of manufacturing, I'm always thinking of something dirty and, and uh, you know, not necessarily on the cutting edge. But from all the examples you've been giving me, I wonder if you could share some. Is, I mean, what, how, are, how are you seeing um, uh, things being pushed in your space to that, uh, to that I was going to say edge, I was trying to avoid saying it, but because uh, I don't mean it in the same way, but that cutting edge, you know, that outer edge of uh, innovation. Yeah, so I mean, m most of I think what's driving it, it's it's the value that's in the data uh, of these of oh, these manufacturing operations. Okay. It's about how do we how do we get access to that data uh, that's in those industrial control systems and in those SCADA systems and all of those supporting um, systems that surround a manufacturing and distribution process. How do we how do we tap into that data and then how do we leverage that data in a way that provides some you know, either real-time or near real-time intelligence to enable those customers to make quick decisions. But the the real challenge in the, uh, and I think Jason referenced the size of some of these facilities. So some of these manufacturing facilities are two, three, four million square feet under roof. Okay. They're, they're enormous. Uh, and so it's not practical uh, or, and it can be very costly to run fiber and cabling to all of these individual uh, systems that you need data from to be able to get the full picture and even Wi-Fi can be cost prohibitive to cover that kind of footprint. Um, and even and even when you can do that, the, the spectrum on Wi-Fi is much more limited than, say, private LTE or, or, or private 5G. And so you start limiting yourself in terms of the use cases. In fact, one of the I'd say one of the biggest kind of debates that's gone on over the years in terms of wireless uh, use cases in the manufacturing plant is to the, the degree to which you can leverage wireless in that critical infrastructure of industrial control systems because this is a the, the lifeblood of the company you can't disrupt that uh, there's worker safety to be concerned about when, when communications break um, there's there's a whole host of things that can go wrong that really require deterministic type of communication reliable communication that resiliency yeah. that that dan talked about um, and private lte and 5g really starts to open up some doors that just work shut tight um, yeah. up, up until the, this has gotten to be a bit more mature. So we're excited to work with customers in this space and, and to evaluate 
uh, the use cases that make sense. And I'll be the first one to say, this is not a blanket replace all your wiring and your Wi-Fi with LTE. We, we need to evaluate which ones make sense um, and balance risk and reward. But it really opens up a whole new world of opportunity for these manufacturers to get at the data that they need in a cost-effective way to propel those their business forward. Yeah, I think what it is, is it's not about retiring anything. Sometimes it's, it's really about understanding what kind of options are now available because there's more options. Um, but sometimes, yeah, the Wi-Fi is just meant for something else, perhaps. And because um, I remember seeing another CBRS at an airport near here. Uh, that was being deployed. And mainly it was because of the, they wanted the deterministic, the capability to know exactly uh, what their tools and their uh, very critical uh, time-sensitive processes were hitting. And then in manufacturing, you see that. And I, you know, we're seeing more with uh, automated vehicles and such having and needing, you know, some very critical responsive actions. Um, but Jason, are you, do you see, uh, what do you, where do you feel like the knowledge is in terms of, you know, a normal business because many businesses, of course, don't consider themselves technology businesses, even though I think we could make a good argument of why technology is driving every single enterprise. Um, but, and I mean enterprise in the broad sense, that would include government. But do you feel like that this is knowledge that people have, or is this knowledge that they're just now acquiring? And it's so there's a little bit of a evangelism, like we're trying to do here, uh, tied with um, how, do, how do you tie this back to your business process? Or outcomes, actually, as you started it with. Yeah. There is, and on the public sector side, it's very interesting. So you mentioned autonomous vehicles. Um, what we're starting to see is the, the joining of AI ML at the edge with 5G as 5G gets deployed. So autonomous vehicles is interesting. One of the things we talk about when we meet with the DOD and, and, and our, some of our other clients, including SLED for state and local, is we always talk about how your eyes are near your brain. That takes one one hundredth of a second for you to process an image. If your eyes were your knees, it would take a second. So why would you want your AI ML back in the cloud to communicate back and forth when it should be at the edge? Because if you're going to ask an autonomous vehicle, which takes one tenth of a second to turn around, turn a right, or four seconds to turn a right turn, you need it to be able to compute at the speed of your eyes to your brain. And so what we're now telling people is you've got to get to the edge. But the way to get to the edge is you've got to train in the cloud or train in your on-prem system but get the, 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 the trained models out to the edge so the edge can function, be it military, so downrange concepts, um, SLED uh, for computer vision and, and security for gun detection, which is still a, a terrible thought, but something we're going to have to, we still deal with. Yeah. But 5G, so being able to manage your 5G and being able to put those edge models into the field or into the wild, as we call it, is where it gets really exciting. Because now I'm, I'm processing all the way from a small device, maybe it's a, a, a camera with a small like FLIR or small uh, Intel um, Ovidius chip that can take my train models and, and do work and then or what we call inferencing. And then when I update those inference models, I update them in the cloud to retrain them and I send them back down. And so what we're telling people is your brain has most of its senses near its brain. It's, it's your nose, your ears, it's near the brain. Why isn't your, your compute near the work? Yeah. And that's what we're really pushing. Yeah, I've been told I sit I'll on second that all that. day. That's the problem with the blood flow. Yeah, you second that, Don? Yeah, I was going to say, that, that's a, I keep I kind of glossed over that in some of that manufacturing discussion, but edge computing is key there because there are workloads and um, uh, different use cases for which the cloud is very well suited. Uh, but for those real-time, 
uh, applications that are controlling these industrial systems and 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 uh, that, that require that instantaneous response. The whole eyes uh, close to the brain uh, uh, analogy is great. That yeah. requires local, right? And how do you integrate those things together and how do you bring that together in a comprehensive, cohesive way? Um, I mean, Jason, that's a great example. So that very much applies in the world of manufacturing as well. Yeah, Damn. Rob, I mean, what, what we've seen with uh, COVID is that, you know, this extreme disruption of business in general, but also of just of the supply chain. And so um, what we're, you know, helping some customers with is how do they process their data? How do they make that data more actionable? And how do you instrument your supply chain from end to end with that actionable data that then you can make micro adjustments based off of the inputs or the disruption of those inputs? And yeah. so, um, you know, you don't have to backhaul every bit and byte to be stored in a data lake. Uh, some of that data needs to be, you know, actionable right there in that millisecond. And so, um, you know, you blend that compute with that AI and processing um, and then, you know, leave the data that you want for deep mining, um, you know, haul that back to where storage might be cheaper at a, you know, central facility or a cloud provider, but make that data that is actionable uh, available immediately back to an individual, an IoT device or a manufacturing process. Um, but with the three, four nines reliability that you can get with private cellular net, you know, networking, you start to see the power of uh, combining all of these things together that are unleashing, um, you know, amazing amount of uh, new capabilities and new business opportunities and cost savings as they implement these things. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, in, of course, as it always happens, Time is moving fast, but as we kind of come to a close in this discussion, the one thing I don't want to uh, leave is anybody that's listening to this and, and thinking through these type of discussions in an organization, my gut feel and experience based on what I've seen is that even the most mature of customers still find some of what you guys are saying is daunting uh, in terms of what they're taking on because it's not a matter of of, of buying a, a product or technology like I'd started this discussion with from a, an individual vendor. It takes, it takes not only an understanding of what all the possibilities are, but how you combine those with what the needs are. And then in that messy middle, which you kind of speak of, if, you know, making good decisions about what data needs to be processed where, what's intelligent for it, do you know what your data is, and then, and then what's the best way to potentially put, get on a path for dealing with that intelligently. Um, so let's not pull any punches. Worldwide technology offers help in this area. Um, and Dan, can you tell us what you guys have been doing some, some rather uh, innovative things yourself to help customers uh, get through some of these more challenging aspects. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a long time product leader and uh, you know, the method that I believe works best is to first and foremost, understand the outcome be able to describe that, uh, be able to describe the value of that, be able to understand the people or devices that are going to consume that. Um, that's often coupled with business constraints or an ROI that needs to be achieved. And then once you have those two elements in mind, then you can start looking at the technology available to fulfill those needs. I often you know, talk about the fact that um, there are corporations out there that have 
folks, um, you know, let's say the the end product is uh, I'm just using this as a as a metaphor, an automobile. Um, there are plenty of companies that can go into an auto parts store and they have the right team and they have the right vision to assemble the automobile that they want, uh, you know, that meets their business needs. Um, but there's a lot that can't and some that want to just be able to walk in a car showroom. So um, what we do is we ask, we probe, we consult with the consumer or the enterprise or the government to be able to manifest the end vision of this. And then that gives us enough information to be able to put together a solution that meets those requirements. Um, for those that aren't familiar with uh, WWT, we have the Advanced Technology Center where we can, uh, it's you know, four data centers plus now that we can put a full stack solution together, proof it out uh, in a you know safe environment. But some of these edge use cases, um, you know, they need to be extended into the environment that they're going to be consumed. So as an adjunct, we have these innovation labs that deploy that infrastructure over wireless connectivity into an environment. So people can touch and feel and, and experience these use cases uh, hands-on, uh, gives us an environment to iterate through the combination, validate the security, understand the, um, you know, the, the working model. And then we have the ability to deploy that infrastructure and software at scale, uh, I believe like no other. So that combination um, where we have some industry expertise, um, case in point with Don and, and Jason. We also have the technical expertise across a number of different disciplines, uh, technologies that are all coming to fruition now. We can blend all of that together to solve uh, our customers' problems. Yeah, and I, I made fun of your title just a little bit there, Don, earlier, but the point of you being a practice manager implies, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it implies you've got a team of people who are specialized in a number of different areas that are that are constantly working with a bunch of different use cases at many different levels of maturity as well. But that all becomes institutional knowledge that worldwide technology continues to package and share and kind of help raise a lot of boats, so to speak. Um, is that a, is that a true statement? Yeah, no, absolutely right. I mean, the uh, all the technologies we have uh, don't mean much to our customers if we can't deliver the outcomes that they, that they're looking for, right? So we get we have to combine business uh, experience and industry expertise and all of these technology and science disciplines, we, we have to bring that all together. And so um, uh, we do that, uh, my team does that in collaboration with a whole lot of smart people uh, inside of WWT. Uh, it's not all contained on, on our team, but uh, it's, but yeah, so, so we work with customers to identify those challenges and then work with, with, with a lot of bright people to, to, to make it real. Uh, but that's a constant yeah, Learning, I say, evolution yeah. process. Which I think yeah. is fascinating, though, because you get a chance to see what individual customers never get to see, you know, because, you know, it's the nature of the beast. If, I, if I'm responsible for a certain organization, then I'm highly focused on what's going on in that organization. It's, it's very difficult to expect any level of expertise in any kind of a big manner, especially up to the moment uh, of what other people are doing, what are best practices, to, to use an unfortunate term, and, you know, and such to take advantage of. And then Jason... There's so much that you blew my mind with working with the DOD. And when you mentioned all that under roof space, I think you said a large room with tanks. Did you mean tanks of like liquid or something like that? Part of the manufacturing process? <laughs> or did you mean tanks? Now you're on mute again. 
I think you're on mute. I know you're saying I something. I mean, M1 Abram tanks. Okay, yeah, perfect. So yeah. long tanks. I mean, the thing is, as we talk about industry 4.0, which is very important, we just have to shift the terminology. We call it smart base. A base at like Fort Irwin, uh, Fort Hood, um, Air Force Base, um, they're all small cities. They're all contained cities, just like a 4 million square foot manufacturing plant. You have to get data to the people that are using the facility and make it um, an interactive space. That's what Industry 4.0 is gonna be, is, is helping interact with the space you're, you're living in. It could be AR, VR, it could be robotics, it could be lots of different things. In my world, like Fort Irwin, it's making sure that you know someone's out on a training range and, and it, there's no safety issues. So being yeah. way out in the middle of the desert, which is out in, in um, Death Valley, um, if they're on a, what's called an LFX, a live fire training range, you want to make sure you know they're out there. But you also want to be able to communicate with them um, and be able to do more things than just standard what's called land mobile radio. You want to be able to serve content, help them start to uh, define and detect or track and trace. Um, and so it's very exciting. And so the, the thing that's great about Worldwide is because I can go to Don, what he's doing in the manufacturing space is 100% equal to what I'm doing. I just have to change a few names yeah. and change a few things, but it's it's equal. And what happens is a government or a, a governor or a mayor or or a, a colonel or a general, they like that the fact that I can go to Don and Dan and say, what are we doing for a huge manufacturer or a huge oil and gas company like ExxonMobil? Because in the end, it's really the same. It's getting data from the edge, getting it back to whomever needs to make a data-driven decision and getting back to the people who have to use that decision. Yep. And, and that's what private LTE and private 5G is perfect for. Well, yeah, Jason, exactly. yeah, finish it, finish this up because Jason summarized that so well because I was like, that's the thread. It's getting data to the right people at the right moment so they can do something with it. Uh, they or it, you know, because it's not just machines, of course, we're talking about as well. But go ahead, Don. We'll wrap it up with this. Dan, sorry, that's what I meant. Oh yeah, no. Oh, no, I was just—I was simply going to say that you know the the common. I think some of the most brilliant innovation that's going on right now is in the business model itself or the mission as it relates to Jason's focus. Um, the technology, um, you know, it'll continue to mature, it'll consolidate, and it will be able to support a number of different use cases. But how you apply this and how you assemble all the raw ingredients is really to fulfill that, um, you know, that business case or that mission. And so having the combination of the subject matter experts across all the different technology pieces, but the in-depth understanding of the business model and how that can be innovated by using these uh, new technologies, I think there's where the real magic happens and the real value of all of this coming together. And not to put anybody on the spot, but how many years has Worldwide Technology been doing this? This 30, is it? I remember it was 30. over 25. 30? That's incredible. Because what you're talking about here is you're talking about a base of knowledge that, yes, it's much different than it was 30 years ago, of course, but it matches the times. And, and that's why I like working with you guys is because of the cross-section of experience and what I get to learn uh, through this envious perch that I get um, to speak to people in so many different disciplines. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Tech 37. And speaking here to the audience, if it wasn't obvious already, WWT.com. Um, it's not just a website to go visit. This is literally a platform. Uh, first, that I encourage you to 
join up on, you sign up. It's not so they can market to you. It's so that you get very easy access, not only to this show, but other uh, media that, that they put out, which includes a lot of really good articles, uh, access to labs, actual interactive labs that you can work with these guys and then it becomes an easy way to to read what what dan or don have been writing about and what they're sharing because I, I think all of you guys must be under the gun to produce information on top of your day jobs as well because you're always up to date on things i find stuff on the website constantly that are helping me kind of advance my knowledge into wherever i'm trying to shore up but um, this is the place to go. We encourage everybody to do that in terms of how you're looking to find where is that enterprise innovation coming from next. There's a, a lot of chances that it's from the edges, as we started off talking about from the beginning. And these guys, you guys represent some very intelligent edge, uh, if you will, when it comes. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time to everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for watching Tech 37.